You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on my book, Sustainable Frontiers, Unlocking Change Through Business, Leadership and Innovation. Recognizing the Integrated Manager The first level of business to which a holistic view needs to be applied is that of the individual. As previously implied, the old view of business regards employees as rational entities who are expected to perform in mechanical ways to further the materialistic goals of the company. In contrast, Smuts's view of the human being, as expressed through personality, was as the highest and completest of all wholes. It is interesting to now note that while this idea has yet to be fully applied in business, the idea itself is not new to the discipline. In fact, thinking along these lines began to emerge in the 1930s, following Elton Mayo's now-famed Hawthorne experiments, which showed the importance of psychological factors in employee behaviour. Building on this, Douglas McGregor, in the Human Side of Enterprise book, challenged the idea that authority is the central indispensable means of managerial control by introducing his theory why of motivation. Then Abraham Maslow, in his book Motivation and Personality, made his invaluable contribution in the form of his hierarchy of needs, which incidentally later led him to the concept of Eusychian management, in which being values of his hierarchy of needs, such as self-actualization, were more explicitly recognized. Another significant development, previously mentioned, which should have advanced the recognition of the whole individual, occurred in the 1960s and 1970s, in which 25 patients around the world underwent split-brain surgery for the treatment of severe epilepsy. The unexpected results showed that the brain's right and left hemispheres can operate independently and display significantly different characteristics, the left brain controlling essentially rational and reductionist activity, and the right brain performing more of an integrative and creative function. Canadian business researcher Henry Mintzberg was the first to spot the application for business and explained its significance in his article in Harvard Business Review called Planning on the Left Side and Managing on the Right. He said, One fact recurs repeatedly in all of this management research. The key managerial processes are enormously complex and mysterious, drawing on the vaguest of information and using the least articulated of mental processes. These processes seem to be more relational and holistic than ordered and sequential, and more intuitive than intellectual. They seem to be most characteristic of right hemispheric activity. The point is that, despite all the evidence and frameworks supporting the notion of the holistic individual, Business has yet to respond in a meaningful way. Employees are still regarded by companies as inputs to production and expenses in business, rather than creative beings and assets in the business. 
People are still expected to leave their emotions, intuition, dreams, fears, family and community concerns and a myriad of other qualities characteristic of being fully human outside of the workplace. And as workers, they are still expected to be motivated and inspired by monetary incentives, increased productivity and profit-making, as opposed to personal development, genuine service to others and the search for meaning in their lives. The time is long overdue for business to be serving humans rather than the other way around. The New Law of the Market Survival of the Holist The other level to which holistic thinking can be applied is that of the organization. For instance, does Smuts's idea of mechanism being an earlier, cruder form of holism not also apply to business? After all, it is indeed as a result of increasing complexity, as per its original meaning of an increase in interconnections or relationships, that the rational model of organization is no longer working. This theme has in fact already been pursued by Dutch psychiatrist Bernard Lieverhut in his book Managing the Developing Organization, in which he conceives of the development of organizations through three phases, the pioneering phase, the differentiation phase or rational model, and the phase of integration or holistic model. Inherent in the new holistic organization is the idea of flattening the hierarchy and a move towards the network type organization which recognizes its composite wholes more fully, the team-based culture, as well as organizing according to process as opposed to functional silos, is also part of the move towards a more holistic structure and is more consistent with Smuts's notion of synergy than its me mechanistic predecessor. This thinking needs to be extended beyond the internal organization. Another interesting derivative from Smuts's holism could be his concept of fields of influence, which he describes as the natural shading off continuities of holes, as opposed to enclosing things or people in hard contours, which are purely artificial. This separation is exactly what business has been guilty of in the past, both with regards to its people and its relationship to its external environment. Indeed, it is only recently that business is beginning to think in terms of its responsibility to all its stakeholders, as opposed to simply its managers and financial shareholders. And even so, much of this remains superficial and inadequate, as is the case of the destruction of the natural environment. Paul Hawken, author of The Ecology of Commerce, makes this point with regards to the latter. If every company on the planet were to adopt the best environmental practice of leading companies, the world would still be moving towards sure degradation and collapse. The reason, says Hawken, is that rather than a management problem, we have a design problem, a flaw that runs through all business. And to create an enduring society, business will be required to create a system of commerce and production where every act is inherently sustainable and restorative. Ruzaburo Kaku, 
Japanese chairman of the Canon Group of Companies, is perhaps one of the few who has taken this holistic understanding to its natural conclusion in thinking about business. He explains that in the highest stage of evolution of a corporation, a global consciousness emerges and the corporation sees itself contributing to the whole of humankind. This evolutionary perspective is important in applying Smuts's holism to business. It highlights the need for what Peter Senge, professor of systems thinking at MIT's business school, calls the fifth discipline, the creation of the learning organization. In fact, Senge's systems thinking is nothing other than a subsequent iteration of the principles of holism. In Smuts's term, the message is the same for... While the tendency in the universe is towards higher and more complex holes, degeneration also occurs when there are holes that are weak. Therefore, those organizations least able to transform themselves continually into more and more holistic entities will be those which have failed to adapt and will die. It is, after all, according to Smuts, the fundamental law of the universe, survival of the holist. The quest for meaning and the ultimate integrated value. Extending the idea of integration, surprisingly little has been written about the integration between corporate sustainability and responsibility and the search for meaning in the workplace. It is surprising partly because meaning has been a serious topic of research and application for at least 50 years now following the seminal work of psychiatrist Viktor Frankl and others, as have the fields of industrial psychology and CSR. But it is more surprising still simply because work is where we spend about a third of our lives. If meaning cannot be found in the workplace, our ability to lead a fulfilling life is seriously impaired. The importance of understanding how work can contribute to meaning in life seems more critical now than ever before. Anecdotal evidence is mounting that people in the West are increasingly feeling a sense of existential crisis in their working lives. On the one hand, they are expecting more from their work experience, including that it will nurture personal development and self-actualization. On the other hand, they are finding the capitalist corporate model of work to be lacking in a meaningful higher purpose. Or to put it another way, the modern workplace and economy is devoid of a sense of soul. Some may argue that this growing frustration in the Western workplace is a vindication of Karl Marx's concept of the alienation of labor through capitalism, whereby work, and I quote, does not belong to his essential being, that he therefore does not confirm himself in his work, but denies himself, feels miserable and not happy, does not develop free mental and physical energy, but mortifies his flesh and ruins his mind. Modern social commentators like Charles Handy are less extreme, arguing for reformation rather than revolution. In his book, The Hungry Spirit, which is subtitled Beyond Capitalism, A Quest for Purpose in the Modern World, Handy calls for capitalism to embrace the notion of social capital, and I would add ecological capital as well, in addition to the more traditional economic capital. He also emphasizes the need for citizen companies, 
which demonstrate greater accountability and a restored balance between the rights and responsibilities of business. The question remains, however, whether these ideas have any grounding in the theory of meaning on the one hand and management theory on the other. According to Frankel and his logo psychology or logo philosophy work, doing, or as he referred to it, realizing creative values, constitutes one of the three paths to meaning. As long as creative values are in the forefront of life's task, he noted, their actualization generally coincides with a person's work. In fact, his other two paths to meaning may be equally applicable in the work situation, even if less common, namely being or the experience of values like love, truth, beauty, and perceiving or the adoption of constructive attitudes, especially in the face of suffering. Frankel's notions of work as ideally being an expression of a life task are not dissimilar to iconic industrial psychologist Abraham Maslow's conclusions about self-actualizing individuals. Writing about the higher order needs of his famous motivational hierarchy, Maslow used words like vocation, calling, mission, duty, beloved job, even oblation, to describe the sense of dedication and devotion to their work experienced by self-actualizing people. Maslow interestingly also identified high levels of perceived meaningfulness in the lives of the self-actualizing subjects that he studied. This was not the only similarity between their conceptions of work and meaning. Both Frankel and Maslow qualify their comments by emphasizing that work only becomes meaningful when it entails contribution to a cause or society beyond selfish needs. Maslow talks about offering oneself or dedicating oneself upon some altar for some particular task, some cause outside oneself and bigger than oneself, something not merely selfish. And Frankel introduces his concept of responsibility by saying that this meaning and value is attached to the person's work as a contribution to society, not to the actual occupation as such. Only Oliver Phillips appears to have attempted any substantive conceptual application of Frankel's theory of meaning to business. In a chapter entitled A New Course for Management, he proposes a model in which the human will to meaning can be challenged and channeled in one of three directions in organizations. It can either find healthy expression in freedom of choice with responsibility, leading to self-transcendence and unique meaning, or it can be frustrated by a lack of freedom and responsibility, leading to collective neuroses and nihilism, or there can be a failure to find meaning, leading to existential frustration and reductionism. Key influencing factors, according to Phillips, are management style, for example, authoritarian companies make successful meaning-seeking difficult. Strategic horizon, the focus on profits, encourages short-term thinking which detracts from meaning. And job enrichment, categorizing and depersonalizing jobs, makes them less meaningful. He builds on Frankel and Maslow's ideas of self-transcendence, 
saying that in affluent societies, dedication to something outside oneself's interest is stronger motivation to work than money or power. And a person will therefore look for new meaning potentials in work that benefits co-workers, minority groups or causes considered worth supporting. This begins to hint at the link between work, meaning and social responsibility. In perhaps the strongest theoretical support of this link, academic Paul Wong's personal meaning profile model identifies self-transcendence as one of seven factors that characterizes people's perceptions about what makes an ideally meaningful life. Some of the descriptive statements associated with this factor make its relevance clear. For example, I believe I can make a difference in the world. I strive to make the world a better place. It is important to dedicate my life to a cause. I make a significant contribution to society and I attempt to leave a good and lasting legacy. One of the ways companies can address an apparent lack of purpose and meaning in the workplace, which may in turn be associated with lower levels of employee motivation, job satisfaction and worker loyalty, is to actively engage in corporate sustainability and social responsibility activities. By the same token, employees that make an effort to be involved in these initiatives in their workplace, be it through volunteering on community projects or in other ways, are likely to experience an enhanced sense of meaning in their lives. This then, the integration of work, purpose and sustainability, may be the final piece in the puzzle of creating integrated value in and through business.